Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come and study your word, to look at you, Jesus, and the fact that you left your riches to rescue us from our poverty. And we think of the nativity. We think of Christ, the choice that you made to come and take on human flesh. We pray for your encouragement. We do pray for us as a church body, as it's very much a a different time, that you would encourage us, Lord, that you would use this week uh, to where we could reach out to others. So we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at this chapter a little bit differently. We're going to go through it fairly quickly and then come back to verse 9 and spend most of our time on verse 9 this morning, especially through the lens of the nativity, especially through the lens of, of Christ coming and taking on human flesh. I remember years ago when I was a high school youth pastor here at RMC, Sean and I, Sean was the missions pastor, and we took a group of kids down to Managua, uh, Nicaragua. And I got off the plane, we landed uh, late at night, and I'll never forget that humidity hitting me right in the face. I'm not a big fan of humidity. How many of you guys are glad that we don't live in a humid state? It's so nice, right? So here I am just kind of complaining about the humidity. It's so hot and it's so humid. And we're staying at a missions house right next to the church, a small Calvary there. And they had no coffee at the missions house. So I'm waking up, getting headaches, and just really feeling like I'm suffering for the Lord down there in, in Managua. Until we go to this dump in Managua. And there's families that live in this dump and kids that live in this dump and it's not a a normal type of dump if, if, if you would not what we're used to here in the United States I mean the stench of the dump even when you're a half a mile away and you're coming up to it it's sprawling with trash and just all kinds of of nastiness and you get right into the middle of the dump and here are these these families and these kids going through the trash day after day, just looking for things that they can sell, things that they can recycle. And this is how they survive. Their homes are cardboard boxes, and it totally reset my perspective. And what we're going to look at this morning is Jesus coming into our dump to be able to rescue us out of our poverty. Though that day really broke my heart, I got to tell you, I don't think that I could move into the dump in Managua. I don't think I could leave Colorado Springs and and go and live in the dump in order to see people rescued out of the dump. I wish that I could, but I don't know that that's inside of me. But I can tell you this. It was inside of Christ to leave the glory of heaven and come into our dump to rescue us and to save us. So the context of chapter 8 is actually giving, financial giving, and in the midst of this, we see our pattern for giving, for giving is Jesus. Let's look at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Paul's going to use the church of Macedonia as an example of giving. The church of Jerusalem is suffering. The church of Jerusalem is hurting. So other churches were taking up an offering to bless them. And Macedonia was an example of this. That in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality or the riches of their generosity. You wouldn't think that these two things would go together. Great affliction and joy. 
deep poverty and tremendous generosity. But this church, even though they had a lot of difficulties and a lot of challenges, if you spent time with them, you're like, man, they are really joyful people. Also, they had intense poverty. They didn't have a lot financially, but they had a generous spirit. I can't help but think of the church in Uganda, Gulu, Uganda, Calvary Chapel, Gulu, where Pastor Kent comes alongside of Pastor Fred. When you're there and spending time with them, you realize how hard their life is, but yet there's this deep joy as they worship the Lord, and they're so generous. Invite you into their hut and want to feed you, and you feel so humbled by them feeding you, and it doesn't stop them from being generous. It doesn't stop them from having joy in the Lord. I don't know if you've ever noticed that sometimes joy and sorrow come hand in hand. In the midst of pain, you also find yourself more appreciative, more appreciative to the Lord, more appreciative to your family and and your friends, and joy is mixed with the sorrow. Also, sometimes affliction helps us to look outward. God helps us to look outward in our affliction. We start to realize the pain that others are in, and we find ourselves giving in a new way, in a unique way. So this church in Macedonia is a real paradox. They have trial, but they have joy. They have poverty, but they have generosity. Verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. So gave according to their ability, but even beyond their ability. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. They're eager to give. They can't wait to give this gift to Paul, but they had first given themselves to the Lord. Is it possible to give money to the church, give money to the kingdom of God, give money to charitable works, but yet not necessarily have surrendered yourself to God? Absolutely. That, that happens all the time, right? We can give money sometimes out of obligation or to feel better about ourselves, but it's another thing to first give yourself to God. To know that Christ's your Savior, that he died for your sins. To receive his, his grace and give out of relationship. So the church of Macedonia had given them their very selves to God. In verse 6, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he will do also. Complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence... And in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Paul uses the word grace in context of giving. Saying abound in in this grace. Interesting word to describe giving because God has given us grace. That free gift that we don't deserve in the person of Christ. And giving is an expression of grace. Expression of lavishing favor upon people. And church, isn't it a lot more fun to give than receive? Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I was talking to a young couple this week at church and asking them, so like, what do you guys do for gifts? Because some couples exchange gifts, some don't. And the husband gets this smile on his face and says, well, we've already given our gifts to each other because we were so excited, you know. Like they got so pumped about the gift that they were giving to each other that they're like, we, we can't wait. 
I don't know about you, but do you have some gifts that you just can't wait to give this Christmas? Right? The joy is in, in giving. And that's how the Church of Macedonia felt, is that they couldn't wait uh, to give. And this is why Paul encourages us here in verse 7 that we're to have abound in faith and speech and in knowledge. But he also says to abound in giving. Abound in blessing others and looking for those around you who are in need to be able to pour out blessing upon them. In verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Paul's not saying I'm commanding you to give, but he is saying it's an expression of your love. It's a test of, of your love. So here's our target verse that we'll come back to. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich. Verse 10, and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you had begun and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you almost complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. So Christ being the motivation for giving, Paul encourages the church of Corinth and says, this was on your guys' heart a year ago. Now it's time to bring it to completion. In this area of giving, have you ever had something on your heart for whatever reason that just doesn't happen? Maybe at the end of 2019, there was something on your heart. But now we're almost into 2021, and you're like, I really haven't done anything with that. And Paul has the courage to call the church of Corinth out and say, it's time to follow through. Here's the giving that was on your heart. The blessing's going to come as you follow through. So what is that maybe area of giving that the Lord has put on your heart that now's the time to follow through with? I love verses 13 through 15. But I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, and their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who has gathered much and had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Paul quotes Exodus 16, when they would gather the manna every day that God would provide from heaven. The interesting thing about the manna is it only lasted for one day. If you gathered up for the whole week, it would go bad. So there would be some who would gather more and others who would gather less, but they would need to share because otherwise it would simply rot. This is the beauty of the body of Christ is sometimes there's abundance financially. You have more than you need. And you look around and you go, wow, here's a brother or sister in Christ that's in lack this is an opportunity for me to give. This is an opportunity for me to share. And there's other times where we're in a season of need, where we're in a season of lack, and we're on the receiving end. And sometimes it's almost harder to be on the receiving end. I think we would all rather be on the giving end. But Paul's saying to the church of Corinth, right now the church of Jerusalem has need, but there'll be a point in time when it'll be your church, it'll be your life that is in that point of of need. One thing that's kind of neat that's happening through 
the Calvary Chapel family of churches is there's opportunity for churches to, to give to other churches that are in need. This exact same thing that we're seeing take place, uh, churches are doing, saying, I know this, this church is hurting, this church has been blessed, so we're going to pass on the blessing to, to someone else. I know we all probably at this point in time have our Christmas giving pretty mapped out. Either that or you're going to go do some shopping this afternoon, right? But maybe there's somebody who's not on your list. There's not somebody that you're committed to get a gift for. And the Holy Spirit's going to put them on your heart. They need a little bit of extra encouragement. Or there's a financial need in their life. It's going to be so fun for you to follow through with, with that. So fun for us to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do in the midst of that, that moment. I think it's a perfect timing for us to be in this section of Scripture. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Titus is an example of giving. Titus gave his time, his time to go invest in the church of Corinth. Time sometimes is the greatest thing that we can invest in people. It's not a financial need, but there is a need for them to have some of our time. Maybe more so now than ever, a phone call, a visit, enjoying a cup of coffee with someone goes further than it has in the past. In verse 18, speaking of Titus's role, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout the churches, and not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with the gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, to show your ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in the lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So there's accountability in this gift that's going to go from the church of Corinth to Jerusalem. And Titus is going to bring this gift in a way of accountability and honor. Verse 22, And we have sent with him, with them, our brother, whom we have often proved diligence in many things, but now much more diligence because of the great confidence which we have in you, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Awesome way to describe the church. The church is the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. So giving is an expression of love. Let's go back to verse 9, meditate upon this truth of verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know the grace of God? The unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God? is the grace of God that won my heart to Christ. I grew up in a Christian home. When the doors of the church were open, we were there. I went to a Christian school. 
Our morning started with scripture reading. There wasn't a lack for a knowledge of Jesus, but I didn't have a heart for Christ at all. I didn't want anything to do uh, with Christ, which I think is evidence of a hard heart. Because some people, they don't grow up hearing the message of Christ. It's a lack of knowledge. It's a, a lack of opportunity. But that wasn't the case for me. Yet God didn't give up on me. He kept pursuing me in my sinful state. He was gracious enough to allow me to feel my emptiness and my void apart from him. It was that void that led me to cry out to the Lord and he revealed himself to me. What he put on my heart was, Eric, while you want nothing to do with me, I want everything to do with you. It was Romans 5.8. I just didn't know it. But God demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Believers, you know God's grace. Your life is a testimony of God's grace, of how you came to know Christ as your Savior. For those of you that are thinking about receiving Christ as your Savior, God's revealing his grace to you right now. Your need to receive Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But God's grace doesn't stop the moment that we receive Christ. Aren't you thankful God doesn't give us what we deserve this morning? He's been faithful to us through this really challenging year. He's been gracious to us, to, to meet with us, to be our refuge, to be our, our dad. Paul here focuses on the grace of God revealed in the life of Christ that he was rich. Let's think about the riches of Christ for just a moment. And we have to imagine because we can't fully comprehend this, but we know that Jesus is God. And inside of the Godhead, there's three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, but three persons. Again, a bit of a mystery for us because we don't see God. But we do know that Jesus as God is eternal, means that he has no beginning point, no ending point. So prior to creation, he is enjoying fellowship with the Father and communion with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we get a glimpse of in the life of Christ is how important his fellowship with the Father was. He was always getting away to spend time with the Father. He wanted to bring us into that relationship with, with the Father. He wanted to honor the Father. So he's enjoying this perfect communion with the Father. Obviously, there's no sin. God is holy. There's no sinful man. There's no sinful humanity. Adam and Eve haven't been created yet. From our perspective, we're like, man, God's got it all. Why would he create Adam and Eve? He knew that Adam and Eve would, would sin. He loves them enough to create them with the choice, to be able to choose between right and wrong, to choose between obedience and, and disobedience. He was rich in the Godhead. But he's also rich as the creator. He speaks everything into existence. John chapter 1 is John's view of the nativity, John's view of the birth of Christ, and this is how he describes it. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the riches of Christ. Yet for your sakes, for you, for me, he made himself poor. It was the love for us that compelled Jesus to be born in the manger in Bethlehem, to come and take on human flesh. 
I recently watched a movie called The Ride. The storyline of The Ride, just to let you know, I'm going to totally ruin the movie for you. I'm sorry, but hopefully it's worth it. You have an African-American man who was falsely accused of raping a white woman, was thrown in prison in the South, was beat up and brutalized in prison there in the South. Eventually was proven innocent, got out of prison, got married. Him and his wife weren't able to have kids. They decided to foster care leading to adopt, and they were looking through all of these different profiles of kids, and they picked an older teenager, a white boy. And this young man had taken a knife and stabbed his dad. You see, dad was beating his mom, and he stood up for his mom and stabbed his his dad in the back with a knife, but mom didn't stand up for her son. They never told the story that dad was beating mom, and it was her way of trying to remove her son from a violent dad. He was part of a white supremacist gang, and in this gang, he had gotten a swastika placed on his neck right below his ear. This couple that was unable to have kids chose that young man. When you're looking through profiles and storylines, what causes you to pick that young man with a swastika on his neck? For his sake. They're doing it for his sake and for his benefit. You can imagine as this older teen comes into their home, it wasn't smooth. This young man, he had a real hatred in in his heart towards black people, and he would express that towards his foster family. At one point, the foster dad gets beat up from this white supremacist gang that he was a part of, but he didn't give up. He kept going. He noticed that his foster son liked BMX bikes, so he bought him a BMX bike, and the son did not receive it well. He's like, what are you doing trying to buy me off? But then he noticed that he was out trying to learn to ride the bike. Here he is as a 16, 17-year-old, and he doesn't know how to ride a bike. So the foster dad teaches him how to ride a bike. And as the story progresses, it turns out to be this young man's thing. He becomes awesome at riding a BMX bike. And he ends up being a BMX professional and winning the national championship. Those foster parents go on to adopt him. And to this day, this young man who's now an adult travels around talking about foster care and adoption. It's an example of the love of Christ being expressed for your sakes. I hope you understand this about us as sinners. It's not that we were so attractive and so lovely. It wasn't like God was like looking at us going, I can't live without you. Like you're, you're something special there. He, he sees us in our sin. We know the reality of our sin. And he's like, I love you in spite of you. For your sake. He became poor. Let's focus on the humility of Christ. Let's focus on this tremendous, colossal God coming in human flesh. Being born in Bethlehem. Jesus in his poverty, I I want you to understand this for a moment. He was financially poor. Jesus was born to a young set of parents. 
a teen mom and a dad who is probably a little bit older. When they come to Bethlehem, there is no room in the inn for them. So Jesus has to be born in a manger, born in a barn. That's where poor people have their kids. Right? If you're a person of means, you can go work that out. Sounds like they could afford the inn, but they couldn't afford a lot more than that. So where are they left? They're left in the barn. Did you know that Jesus was a refugee? It wasn't safe for Christ to be in Israel because of Herod. Angel speaks to Joseph and says, you got to get Jesus out of here. Where'd they go? Egypt. How easy do you think it was for them to live in Egypt? How prosperous do you think it was financially for them to live in Egypt? They're probably scraping to get by. They don't know the language. They're not from there. It's safe for them to return to Israel. They go to Nazareth in the Galilee region. And Jesus is a carpenter. He's not a doctor. He's not a lawyer. He's not a priest. He's a carpenter. He's an, as far as work goes in his profession, he's an average, ordinary, working hard with his hands, and that's most of his life. Doesn't start his public ministry till he's 30, dies at 33. He lived in poverty so that we could be made rich, but that's just the very surface of his poverty. He became poor by God coming in human flesh, the God-man, where he's all God, but he's all man. Fully experienced this human experience. Dependent, the creator is dependent upon his creation. What if Mary messes things up? She's a first-time mom. There's no formula for them to go get Mary and Joseph. She's nursing the Christ child, The creator is putting his hands, his life, into a very young mom. He's rejected. As a man, the God-man, he's rejected by his own family. He has half-brothers and sisters. Mary and Joseph go on to have kids. And those kids don't believe that Jesus is the Christ child until the resurrection of Christ. He's rejected by his hometown in Nazareth, they go, oh, this is Joseph's son. This is the carpenter's son. Yeah, we know his siblings are right down the road. They push Jesus out of their community. He's rejected by the religious community. We kind of go, oh, big deal. He's rejected by the religious community. But that was everything in the nation of Israel. The temple and the synagogue, their system of worship, But that's just the beginning of his humility. As then he goes to the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays and says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He's spit upon. He's shamed. They rip out his beard. Put the crown of thorns in his head. Beat his back. Whip him, nail him to the cross. Intense physical suffering and humiliation. One of the things that we don't understand in our Western mindset is he lived in a shame and honor culture. And he was shamed on the cross. They ripped his clothes off. They did everything possible to to shame him. And he was willing to do that. He was willing to take on that poverty so that he could 
make us rich. But again, that's just the surface of his poverty because we have the reality that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So he took my sin upon himself, your sin upon himself, the sin of the world upon himself became the object of the Father's wrath for the punishment of our sin, where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All so that this morning we could be rich. For all of those that are in Christ, that have trusted Christ as our Savior, I want you to know you are rich. And it has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank or what you possess or you don't possess. But it's based upon your position in Christ. You have eternal life. Eternal life that has been given and granted to you. Streets paved with gold. What we value most here on earth is just asphalt in heaven. (laughs) We're going to see God and be made like him. No more pain, no more suffering. No doctor's appointments, no masks, no COVID virus, no broken relationships, no depression, eternal life. We're also told that we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Do you know God gave work to Adam and Eve to do in the garden before the fall? And we're going to have work to do with the Father for all of eternity, rule and reign with Christ, but without the curse of sin. Won't that be nice? Work right now has thorns in it, but we're going to be enjoying work with our Father for for all of eternity. You're not going to be bored in heaven. We're joint heirs with Christ. Jesus shares his inheritance with us. We're the sons and daughters of God. We're brought into this amazing relationship with the Father where we're accepted, we're forgiven, we're loved by who matters most, we're, we're beloved by God. You're rich because you have the love of the Father. You're never going to be forsaken. Jesus has promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Through the challenges of this year, he's been with you. Through the challenges of 2021, he's going to be with you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You're the temple of the living God. Holy Spirit's your comforter, your helper, your, your teacher. We truly are rich. He was made poor so that we could become rich. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? And in light of what we've just read in 2 Corinthians, let's meditate upon the birth of Christ. This is verse 1 of Luke 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should wear masks. (laughs) That all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. It's the census that brings them to Bethlehem to fulfill prophecy, Micah 5.2. Joseph also went out from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son 
and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now they were in the same now there were in the same country shepherds living in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night and behold the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid. Can you imagine you're doing your thing as a shepherd and all of a sudden an angel is before you and the glory of the Lord This is the message of the angel. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Church, this is what I want you to hear this morning is we have good tidings of great joy. We have Jesus, who was made poor so that we could become rich. It's good news for us, but it's also good news for us to declare to others. Verse 11, For there is born to you... This day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Don't normally see a baby in a feeding trough. That's what is the sign that this is the Christ child. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying. So now a multitude of angels praising God. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. How could you not? How could you not go check this out? And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. What a comfort this must have been to Mary and Joseph, who are alone in this barn with their beautiful infant in the manger, the Christ child. A real proud moment for me was when each of our four kids was born, and I got to introduce them to their grandparents. Such a joyous time to see my dad hold his grandchildren for the first time, to see my mom, to to present our children and hand them off to Amber's uh, parents. You just feel so good as a dad. Like, I've done a lot of things wrong in life, but by God's grace, this is something I did right. Like, this is my kid. This is your, this is your grandkid. Mary and Joseph don't have family with them in Bethlehem. So for the shepherds to come, it must have been a huge comfort for them and a, a huge joy for them. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart in a way that only a mom can. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Let's pray together. Father, we're humbled. We're humbled that you love us enough to send your son, Jesus, that you were willing to come and to rescue us out of our dump, rescue us out of our our poverty. And may the reality of that gift impact us this morning, that you, Jesus, are the indescribable gift. We can't even put into words what an amazing gift you are Christ in the manger. 
good tidings of great joy. So may that good news set in in our hearts afresh. May you give us opportunities to share it. We pray for those that this morning may not know you and pray that this morning would be the day of salvation in their lives. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.